0: Just in case you think I'm forgetting, I'm not. I'm going to let the little ones stay here for a while. We read the scripture and then they will go on to children's church. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 16 through to verse 41. And the word of God says this, it says, The soldiers took him, being Jesus, away into the palace, that is the praetorium. And they called together the whole Roman cohort and they dressed him in purple. And after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim, Hail, King of the Jews! And they kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear the cross. Then they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which is translated, the place of the skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the ascription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You are who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others and he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that he may see and we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the land until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began to saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way that he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man is the Son of God. There were also some women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who came up with them to Jerusalem. Please be seated. At this time, we would invite our children to head to Children's Church. Miss Brittany is in the back. She will wave at you. And that little ragamuffin with her is my son. I have no doubt he will also lead the way. It seems only fitting but on a day that we come together to study and to meditate on the crucifixion of Christ, that we would also come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. As Paul wrote to us in his letter to the church in Corinth is this, For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This bread and this cup serve as a visual reminder of what Christ did in this passage that we just read. And it was something that he communicated to us through the chapters prior. In fact, as we look at Mark chapter 14, verse 22, we read these words. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take this, it is my body. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, we come before you right now, and as we are are meditating on and reflecting on the crucifixion, it seems only fitting that during this time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Lord, we pray that as we come into this celebration, Lord, that we would not do so in an irreverent manner. Lord, even as Sunday school was teaching us this morning, we should only come to you with reverence and fear. God, recognizing that you are the God most high, that you are the creator of all things, that you know every molecule in our body, and even the very hairs on our head are numbered. And God, not only do you know this, but you know every star in the night sky, and that you have given each one a name. God, you are far greater and far bigger than we could possibly understand. And yet you loved humanity so much that you would send your only son to die on our behalf. God, we celebrate the Lord's Supper today recognizing our great need for you. And God, we pray that as we come into this time, that your spirit would pierce our heart. That we would recognize the ways that we fail you, the sins that we are still holding on to. And God, that we would hand them over to you in forgiveness. God, let us be reminded of our great need for this sacrifice. And Lord, let us celebrate and look longingly for the day that you return in all your glory, to set all things right. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I would invite you at this time to peel back that top thing and to pull out the bread, which Jesus said in this way. Take it. This is my body. Let us take the bread now together. Immediately following that, in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 13, we read these words. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Take a moment to peel back the second layer. For the drink, Jesus said these words, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let us partake of that together. As we ponder this visual representation of the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary, I want this statement to hang for just a moment. The blackest day in all of history was this day. In all of human history and indeed in all of creation, the blackest day in all of history was this day. The day that we crucified our Savior, the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And yet, the greatest news, the good news that that fills every page of Scripture comes from this dark day. Indeed, the blackest day in all of history has brought forth the greatest news that we could ever hope to hear. Let me show you today. Before we get to the greatest news, I think it is right to maybe start with just some good news. And the good news is, is found in all of the details of this passage. I want to just point out a few details from the passage that as we read it, it's just part of the story. One of the things that Mark does is he gives us a very concise, matter-of-fact description of the crucifixion. There's not a lot of commentary. If you look through there, almost everything he says is just flat out what happened. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And I want to point out some of the things that happened. He was, Jesus was mocked. Jesus was beaten. He was sent off to be executed. He was hung on a cross, which was a piece of wood. They took his clothes from him. They crucified him between two other criminals. The people who passed by shook their heads at him as they they insulted him. They gave him sour wine or bad wine, cheap wine, nasty stuff. These are all just simple details that we find throughout the story. And if we were just reading it briefly, like we would read any story, we would just say, yeah, these are the, this is what happened. These are the details you may, if you're skimming it over again, you might be saying, Hey, pastor, these are all the details. This is almost everything that happened in this passage. So what, why does it matter? How could the details that happened in Jesus' crucifixion possibly point us to good news? Well, I point out these details because of of something that every single one of these details has in common. And that is this. Every single detail that I have mentioned from our passage today was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Think about that for just a moment. All of these seemingly just simple things, like something you would expect to be in this, just the natural course of the crucifixion account, were, were there. And, and not all of them were stuff that Jesus could have done intentionally. He can't make people act a certain way or do a certain thing. And yet, every single one of them had already been communicated to Israel. Every single one of them had been told to them through the prophets of old and through King David when they talked about who this Messiah would be. Let me show you. To the mocking, we have Psalm 22, verses 6 and 7. Where if we look at those, it says, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. Isaiah 50 50 verse 6 says this, I gave my back to them to strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from the humiliation and spitting, speaking to the beating that he endured. We know that Jesus was sentenced to execution on the cross. And Isaiah 53, 8 says this, that by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as far as his generation who considered that he would be cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. He was sent away to be executed. In regards to his clothes being cast lots for and given to the praetorium. And again in Psalm 22 verse 18 it says this, that they divide my garments among them and for my clothes they cast lots. The two robbers that he was stuck between, we find in Isaiah 53 as well. Verse 12, who says, I was numbered with the transgressors. Even the head shaking. Psalm 109, verse 25 says, I also have become a reproach to them. When they see me, they wag their head. To the wine. Psalm 69, 21 says, they also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Over and over again, all of the details of Jesus' crucifixion, we hear echoes from the Old Testament. I would let you know this isn't even an exhaustive list. This is just talking about some of the things that happened. Not even getting into some of the theological implications of him dying on their behalf, of blood being spilled. Not even talking about the times where Jesus told them what was going to happen. Days, months, even years before it actually happened. As Jesus foretold of his betrayal and his crucifixion and his death. Why does this matter to us? Again, how can this be good news for us today? Well, it is because it shows to us that even in history's darkest hour, God was still in control. And not only was He still in control, but He was accomplishing His perfect will. Imagine for just a moment when you think of this, this dark day, this darkest hour, this, this the worst day in all of history from the beginning of creation to the end and consummation. The darkest day in all of history was still under the sovereign rule of God and accomplishing his perfect will. I know that everyone in this room has been through hard times. I know that everyone here today has gone through seasons of their life where things seem to be over. That you never thought you would recover. That you never thought you would get through what you were going through this day. And for some of you, you know that day is probably coming. Maybe you're young and you haven't really been to that level yet. But let me tell you, you will have bad days. In fact, you will have terrible days. In fact, you will have black days. And yet when we look at this day, we can have confidence that even in our hardest times, God is in control and he is doing good. Now, it won't feel good, And it may not be good. You may be going through bad at times and there may not necessarily be that point later where God says, Hey, by the way, all that bad stuff led to this and this is great. But he is there. And he is working. And he is good. And so you can trust him. And you can have hope. And you can lean into the Father harder than you ever have before. And place your faith and your trust in him. That he will see you through. And that he has not left you. That's good news. That's good news for us today. And this good news leads us to some... Great news. And that great news is found in the midst of the mocking. I want to look again at verse 29 through verse 32. As it says that the passersby were hurling insults at him and shaking their head and saying, um, Ha, who are you um, Who are you that was going to tear down the temple? Why don't you save yourself and come down? And then the priests come in and say, you called yourself the king of the Jews and the, the, the one of Israel that we were expecting. Why don't you save yourself and take care of yourself? All of the passerby,s all of the leadership, all of the people in Jerusalem that day saved the disciples who were at a far off distance. We're mocking him and saying that he should just come down from the cross if he is as powerful as he claims to be. If he is indeed the Son of God, one with God, equal to God, which is what they were so, they were, were so upset about, then surely he would not allow himself to remain on that cross and die. But here is the interesting thing he could. He could have done that. Think about it for just a second. Just one moment, ponder this. Jesus, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, if he had decided to do so, could have come down off of that cross. He had the power. He had the ability to do so. It could have been a divine moment, one that, that would have d- just rattled the world for el- forever when suddenly Jesus shows himself and reveals himself in all of his glory. Just like he did at the transfiguration and maybe even Elijah and Moses show up just like then and suddenly that cross would melt from existence and the light would shine like never before and he would lower himself in his glorified body. No scars, no nails, no piercing of the side and he'd say, I am And Rome would cease to exist. And the Pharisees would melt like that scene in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it would have been glorious. But it wasn't the plan. And it wasn't the mission. And it wasn't why he came. See, God... And I mean God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit loved humanity enough that he did what he did willingly. It was the plan. It was the way. It was the means and the method that God would remain both justified and the justifier of all humanity. Jesus himself speaks to this in John chapter 10, starting in verse 17. It says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back up. This commandment I received from my father. Going further, in John chapter 15, we read these words. Greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing. But I call you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. They mocked him. And said, if you really are all that and a bag of potato chips, come on down. And he didn't. But not because he couldn't. But because he loved us so much that he didn't to accomplish his mission on this earth. He knew that he needed to do this. In order to give us a relationship with Him and an eternity with Him. Think about this for a moment. That's how much you're loved. That's how much you're loved. You're loved so much that even though Jesus had all the power to alleviate and escape his suffering. He chose not to because he knew what that would mean for you. We barely have a concept of that when every once in a while as a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or even a best friend, we will choose to give up what we want for what is better for the family. We're a dad who gives up the great job promotion that he knows would ultimately wreck his home life. We do that as a friend who who doesn't go off and and abandon another friend because he's chasing after some guy or, or she's chasing after some girl because they don't want to abandon their friend. And God does this and Christ does this to a level we can't even understand. That He willingly, knowingly endured the cross... Because he loved us so much that he did not want to see us doomed to hell for all eternity. And make this clear. If you are in Christ, he loved you that much. But if you are not in Christ, he loved you that much too. Which means all of those people That we've been going out and we've been praying over their homes and we've been delivering those bags and we've been having conversations with them. He loves them too. And whether they are this close to God or a million miles away, it really doesn't matter. But Christ loved them enough to be nailed to that cross for their salvation. This brings us to the best news the news that makes this matter all the more. See, the best news is this, that this dark, horrible, wicked day happened to save you and me from the dark, horrible wickedness in our life. If we pick up in verse 33 yet again, we come to the last hour. And we see in the last hour that the sun is blacked out. That Jesus cries out, my God, my God, how, why have you forsaken me? And even then they don't understand what is happening. Until finally Jesus lets out one last loud cry. And he breathes his last. And as he breathes his last... The veil is torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus' final words in, God, in Mark's gospel is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would God's holy and anointed Son, the Christ, and the Messiah say these words? If not, but because God was pouring out his wrath and his judgment for our sin on him. Scripture often talks about, talks about the sky being darkened, and it is almost always in the prophets a sign of the judgment of God. And while we may think that the sky is darkened because of God's judgment on the people crucifying Jesus, the gospel reveals to us that the sun being darkened was because God's wrath was being poured out on the only one who didn't deserve it. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 communicates that very well when he says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus breathed his last breath, that veil was torn in two because our sin and our uncleanliness and our unworthiness to be in the presence of God had been removed the price had been paid for our sin and the veil was no longer necessary because Christ had restored our relationship to God the Father through him and through him alone. I want to read a passage to you today that I think really communicates well what happened on this black great day. First John three, in the beginning of verse one, it says this: "See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are." When Christ died, he didn't just put us back on good terms with God and say, "Good luck." He didn't wipe out some of the sin, hoping that we wouldn't create more sin. He didn't just do take care of what was happening right then and there. But he made a way that we could become his children. That we would be adopted into the family of God. That we would be his children. And that we would enjoy Him forever. And that we would look forward to our inheritance, which is the new heaven and the new earth, where we will be with God and we will be with Jesus, free from sin forever. This is great news. And this great news had a cost. And so the blackest day in all of history made the pavement, paved the way so that we could have the greatest hope that anyone could ever be offered and that is a life with Christ forever. From horrible tragedy to unimaginable beauty. From death comes everlasting life. This is the best news ever. And the question is, how will you respond? We bring up the three circles every week and it's a great way illustration to remind us how we respond to the gospel. And in the midst of those circles, which will hopefully be coming up in just a second, they're doing a great job. Go ahead and put the whole thing up, ladies. We come to that point where we ask ourselves, what are we going to do with the gospel? What are we going to do with that bottom thing there? If we recognize that we're broken and that we have a problem, if we're willing to finally admit that we can't do righteousness on our own and jesus came and jesus died to prove to us that we can't do righteousness on our own what are we going to do with this good news that jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for us out of his love for us because he wants to he wants us with him for all time what are you going to do with that and the bible says that we need to repent and believe Romans 10, 9 says it this way, For if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Which means first we have to believe what just happened in this scripture actually happened. That Jesus is a real person. That he is God in the flesh. Who did all the things that it says. And that not only that, but that he rose from the grave three days later. Spoiler alert for the weeks to come. We have to believe that with all our heart. And then we have to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. And we do that by repenting of our sin and turning towards Jesus. It doesn't mean we become perfect overnight. I think everybody here would know, would attest to that's not what happens. But it does mean we turn our face, we turn our path away from this world and the sin that runs it. And we turn to Christ and we begin to follow him with all of our hearts. That's how we receive this good news. That's how this good news becomes good news for us. And that is how this good news will transform our community, our nation, and this world for God. And it is only through us believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and and making him the Lord of our life that we will no longer be broken, but we will begin to recover and pursue God's purpose for our lives. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he stayed on that cross when he didn't have to. That's why the veil tore in two. And that has been God's plan for you from the very beginning. So how will you respond today? If God has laid it on your heart to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would invite you to do that today. I'm going to be standing right up front. You are welcome to come up talk to me about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. If you're in this room today and you've not done that, but you're with somebody who has because they drug you here, They can share this with you too. Turn to them and say, hey, I want this. I want to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And you guys can begin that conversation. It does not have to be me up front. Maybe you've done that and you've received Christ, but you're ready to join in membership with this church or do so through baptism. However God is calling you to respond to the best news you are ever going to hear, we invite you to respond to that today. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you and we praise you so much for who you are. God, we praise you that your plan was to send your one and only son to save us. And God, we praise you that you loved us so much and that Jesus loved us so much that he did it. And he did it willingly because he knew that we don't get saved unless he pays that price. And so, God, we are here today and we give you all the glory. Because we know that we do not contribute to our salvation. But that you and you alone have paid the price for us. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here today that that has heard this good news today. That has heard the best news that they're ever going to hear. And they are ready to respond to that good news. And they're ready to receive that good news. And they're ready to make that good news for them today. God, I pray that they don't wait another day. That they don't wait another week. They don't wait until the the enemy can snatch this thought out of their mind. But God, that they would surrender their life to you today. That they would become a follower of Jesus and that they would trust in you for salvation. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.